UX Podcast Episode 95. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pad Axboom. And we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Yay! We, we have an audience of one. It's mm. Pad. <laughs> uh, we're sad in different locations today, so, but we can see each other. Cause we can. Doing Hi, Pad. Yeah. Hello, James. <laughs> You're looking lovely today. <laughs> you too, in your little red headset and red microphone. <laughs> and red chair. Oh, my God. What? And? And? Red hoodie? No, it's a black hoodie. So what have, hoodie, we, um, what have we got on the um, cards today, Pat? We have got, uh, and I've wanted to talk to this guy for a long time, actually. I mean, ever since I read that uh, article a long time ago, a list of part article about, I think the article's name was actually Responsive Web Design. It is, um, mm. from May the 25th, 2010. Mm. Understanding that, you will realize that this is the guy who actually coined the phrase that so many of us are using on a daily basis today. So, want to do a responsive web design website, or the client says we want to do responsive web design next time we do this, and it's all over the place. But nobody knows really. Well, it, it's actually it's harder, hard, a lot harder than probably we thought from the beginning. Because when I first saw this article, it was like for me, it was like, wow, this is so fantastic. This is how we should be designing websites. This is perfect. It's going to solve everything. Then we hit the pit of despair. Yes. Uh, It didn't change everything. It made a lot of things more difficult. (laughs) Although it's it's a step in the right direction, of course. I still believe that. Uh, But it it poses a lot of problems that uh, many were unprepared for. Yep. It's not the the, um, Mm -hmm. magic bullet. Or what do you call it? So, um, shall we give Ethan Marcotte a ring? Yeah, let's bring him on to tell us how it should be done. But before that... We wanted to give you a quick reminder about our listener survey, which we are running on our website just in a moment. If you visit uxpodcast.com slash survey, then there's a, there's a short survey you can fill in to give us some um, feedback and um, let us know about what you think about the program. Um, it's, it's a really valuable tool for us in knowing what you think about us and how we can improve the show. As UXers, I'm sure you'll understand. And like the survey page says, we love you. How much do you love us? Let's call Ethan. I mean, we probably should introduce you in some way. I mean, you've, you're a responsive web design, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you coined that phrase. I mean, but what have you been doing? What's your background? What's your education? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, former literature student, frankly, um, and then just kind of fell into web design, looking to take a little time off of academia, um, and just kind of fell in love with the web, frankly. So mm. I've been working online for about... Uh, 15, 16 years now, uh, a variety of agency jobs, been mostly independent during that time, um, and, you know, but basically working for myself for the last, like, three or four years now. Um, most recently, I've been doing a lot of speaking, a lot of uh, traveling, a lot of consulting. Um, hmm. My colleague, Karen McGrain, who's also going to be at From Business to Buttons, um, she and I have been doing hmm. these workshops on responsive design, both in-house and publicly. So, uh, yeah, I've been keeping pretty busy. And you also have a podcast. Right. Yes. We also podcast. We cast pods. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so it, it's, uh, you know, you mentioned things getting a little bit harder, and I think that that's been something that's been very interesting to Karen and I because, you know, the first article about responsive design was just about layout. You know, it was about, like, you know, here's how you build a flexible grid, here's how you mm. use media queries to make this responsive. Um, the problems are much bigger than that, obviously, as organizations start thinking more holistically about design, um, mm. you know, moving out of, like, device-specific design practices. Um, there's a lot of process changes that go through that. So the podcast, a responsive web design podcast has really been about interviewing the people from a, a practice standpoint, you know, th mm. talking to them about a big redesign, but just some of the organizational changes they've had to go through, not just about the, the design and the code. Right. Yeah. I, I actually listened to the, the latest episode on the, um, on the way back home from work um, this afternoon. I listened to a few of the episodes and it's been really interesting to, um, yeah, to get that kind of hands-on, um, insight from some people who've gone through um, the web, the, re, the responsive redesign um, journeys. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's 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 interesting to hear. Th there's a lot of common threads, obviously, like getting you know design and uh, you know UX and development teams actually a little bit better integrated. Like that's been a big lesson for a lot of companies we speak with. Um, and then hearing you know publishers, for example, talk about different approaches to thinking about advertising um, in a responsive context. So it's. It's been really educational. I mean, I never thought I would be a co-host on a podcast, um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've been learning a lot, so it's been great. Wow. Is there like a eureka moment when you thought of responsive web design? Because, I mean, it all happened so fast with the article on the list apart, and yeah. then everybody right. was talking about it within six months, and then everybody wanted to do it. But <laughs> was there like, were you lying in the bathtub and thinking about it and it just suddenly hit you? <laughs> No. <laughs> is this an after dark podcast? No. Uh, it, it honestly, like, um, first of all, I mean, I'm still kind of amazed and terrified at the the response that responsive design's gotten. I mean, I just, I, I really met a publishing deadline, and I wasn't expecting anything like the reaction it got. Um, which, you know, I think is maybe just sort of suggested that the way we were thinking about desktop and mobile just wasn't generally sustainable. So if I hadn't, you know, come up with some more some device agnostic approach, you know, somebody else would have. Um, but I mean, for me, I, I've been excited about thinking more flexibly from a layout standpoint about design pretty much since I started on the web, mm. but it wasn't ever practical. I mean, you know, fluid layouts just, they always had like this horrible reputation just as being like, well, ugly, frankly. I mean, like line lengths yeah. would just sprawl on forever. You, you know, you can't control them. And that's kind of what we wanted out of the web in the early days. And mm. It wasn't until browsers got a little bit better and then we could sort of bring in, you know, some of the, the CSS3 pixie dust, you know, the media queries stuff to actually shape that flexibility in useful ways. Mm. So um, the closest thing to a eureka moment was probably when I was reading this book called Interactive Architecture when they were talking about architects who were sort of like, you know, changing the way they think about like designing spaces, you know, thinking about rooms that aren't these inflexible four walls and a ceiling that shape the behavior of the people that walk through them, but they're actually using like tensile materials and embedded sensors to actually create spaces that can respond to the people that are walking through them. Um, right. So that, that was kind of like, you know, they're facing a similar crisis in terms of like changing climates, collapsing economies, uh, materials becoming more dear. And we're also kind of facing a crisis of like device explosions and proliferation. So, um, yeah, that it just seemed like an interesting parallel to me. So what are some of the like biggest challenges uh, based on the people you've been talking to that you've been interviewing in your podcast? What are some of the biggest challenges that people are coming across yeah. working with it today? Um, I think workflow is a big one. Um, you know, a number of agencies that have been moving away from 
you know, that very linear, very waterfall driven approach to design, you know, where design's finished in Photoshop and then it gets handed off to somebody to implement it. Um, and so seeing organizations and companies that are getting like really invested in, you know, building up like a prototyping practice and starting to think about the fastest that we can get something into as many devices and browsers as possible and reviewing it there. Um, you know, we talked to uh, the team behind the Virgin America responsive redesign, which I think I think is a beautiful piece of work. Um, and they basically said that they, the client was never actually shown any Photoshop comps or Illustrator comps or anything like that. It was really just like the first mm -hmm. thing that they showed them was a responsive prototype. Yeah. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I think it's like the faster you can get things down on paper, I guess, in a manner of speaking, you know, the, <laughs> the except not right, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm way under caffeinated. I can't metaphor yet, but uh, you know, it's it's about getting past that idea that like you know. Photoshop, these fixed canvases, you know, these graphic editors, that, that's the only place that the design happens. Um, mm. They're still valuable, but um, yeah, HTML and CSS are valuable design tools in their own right. But that, that, that said, though, I think the, um, the fears that we're at, at least, at least here in Sweden, it feels like the, the fears that we're at in very many situations is that um, companies, if they're redesigning a website, so I'm not thinking of product, um, web products now, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of just websites, mm -hmm. they, um, they're, they're making it like a requirement when they're um, procuring a, a partner to work with that it's going to be responsive because mm. of course everything has to be responsive now and, and <laughs> right. there's, there's not there's not a single new website here in sweden produced that isn't responsive interesting um is my is my take on that now yeah, I've seen um, yeah and there's been surveys that have said if you're going to do a website redesign this year um is it going to be responsive mm. and like you know, absolutely everyone sticks up their hand and says yes it will be so um, so that bec has become a standard deliverable as part of web projects is that it's going to be responsive. Mm. Um, but I find that there's still an awful lot of cases where that's coming in the form of um, standard breakpoints. And sure. it's, it's, you know, design yeah. for the, the three classic um, right. mobile tablet desktop. Yeah. And then it is handed over for implementation. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely not, not mobile first. It's usually big site, then scale it down. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's always the negotiation, I think. Um, you know, when I worked on the Boston Globe redesign a few years ago, um, you know, we were sort of handed a number of, like, you know, 960 pixel wide designs, which are beautiful, incredibly well researched. Um, mm. But then figuring out how to, you know, how to design a process that would let us, you know, come up with a responsive prototype and start figuring out all the, you know, the layout challenges, the interaction challenges, you know, uh, where the content hierarchy was going to break down at different points. Um, you know, that was really the big challenge. It wasn't the, mm -hmm. the fluid grids and the media queries. It was about going back to the client saying, we need to treat these comps as like a little bit of a, a catalog of assumptions, you know, and thinking mm -hmm. about um, <clears throat> moving the design process into the browser and kind of continuing it there. But Yeah, and that's, that's also that point of that um, responsive itself is a, is a, is a technical solution mm -hmm. um you know a coding solution this is how we build stuff up in the web browser but it's it's actually content that is the the, the critical element of whether it's going to actually work absolutely and do its job. absolutely yeah. yeah karen mcgrain's got this great uh, great anecdote she tells during our workshops about how you know having somebody come up to them during a like a heated discussion about some content strategy related issue and she's like oh well this isn't going to be a problem because we're going to go responsive and like you know, <laughs> as Karen says, it's like yeah. responsive design is not going to solve your content strategy problem. I mean, that's mm. content is the foundation that you build a really successful responsive experience on top of, um, mm. you know, looking at, 
you know, spend, I, I could spend hours, for example, on like the BBC and the Guardian websites uh, because they have all these really thoughtful little design patterns where they're sort of pulling in images at different breakpoints that are associated with stories or maybe dynamically loading additional stories once they have room to do so that are associated with that lead story that you're looking at. And that's all informed by really rich editorial decisions and a strong content model on the back end. Um, yeah. And uh, you can make things fit, but if you can go and really invest yourselves in a in a serious base of content, um, you know, I think that's going to just improve the experience for everybody. Mm. I think that's also one of the, the the big the big pluses of going mobile first in the in the process mm -hmm. is that if if you then if you're then using genuine you know, real content and doing mobile first with design, then you've, you've, you've put the building blocks in place for, for the thought process to scale up from that. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge challenge for a lot of organizations, you know, to move away from, mm. you know, thinking about the desktop as kind of the first citizen of the web um, mm. and instead approaching it from like, you know, using that small screen to kind of focus the experience and then build out from there. Um, you know, it's, 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 really, uh, it's really a big challenge. I find it also surprising how um, even the most experienced of, um, of, of, of web editors, of people who are running websites and dealing with content on a daily basis, how, how they seem to very quickly forget when they're sat there at their, at their workstations publishing content. They're... they're um, their kind of mobile amnesia sets in incredibly quickly. <laughs> they, 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 they're, from, they're going back and forwards from work using their, their mobiles right. kind of constantly on the, on the tube and the, the subway and so on. But then as soon as they sit behind the desk, it's kind of you know, full-scale articles and mm. yeah. not really thinking and about what it. What do we add to way. the right-hand column? We need stuff in the right-hand right, column. Right, the right-hand <laughs> column, yeah. Oh, yeah, just immediately God. start thinking about layout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's... Yeah, I've always wondered if that's like a challenge with the, you know, just the CMS workflow uh, or the, the interfaces that they're working with. I mean, I've worked with publishers who have uh, <clears throat> designed like these little, uh, little portable carts with devices that could basically just sort of like preview pages live as they were being edited, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is, it's, it's a beautiful hack. <laughs> but, um, mm -hmm. you know, so many editorial tools are still so desktop focused. Um, it's kind of yeah. hard to step out of that. Yes. You have yeah. the templates that you're working with, and you're previewing those templates, and so it looks really weird if you don't have anything in the right hand yeah. column. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, CMSs do have mm. um, a lot to answer for still, um, <laughs> even though they're they're, mm. they're essential tools. Absolutely, it's, um, it's a it's a big challenge there. Yeah. yeah, Craig Sullivan, who's been on the show three times or something, he works with search engine optimization. He, he has oh, a um, conversion rate optimization. Yeah, he has a metaphor for uh, yeah, sorry metaphor for how people are working with responsive web design is, is like taking a Christmas tree and scaling the Christmas tree down to like 5% of the original size, <laughs> but ke keeping all the ornaments, right, keeping right, all the ornaments right. is, is what people are doing. Interesting. And, but that's, that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, is getting people to understand what content is uh, useful to people in a mobile sense. Because I remember in the early days of responsive people, there were big arguments about, well, if people are on the tube or if they're traveling or they're on the bus, they're going to not need that, that's that stuff. They're not going to be writing long emails to us. They're not going to be uh, contributing content in that way. And it turns out that people are, really do actually work online with, they, they I mean, people read novels on their Absolutely. phone. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that type of behavior still hasn't come across to a lot of people, of my clients at least. They, they don't understand why we can't take away stuff when we're going to mobile, mm -hmm. rather than thinking again about the content strategy and what we really want to get out there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, um, that's a big discussion that has to happen, I think, in any responsive mm -hmm. redesign. I mean, um, thinking about 
using that small screen again as as it's not necessarily just about taking content features away but it's about really just building an agreement to what matters to every user regardless of device and then basically if you can get that foundation in place then you can look for those interesting opportunities to hey i'm on a slightly wider screen maybe i can pull in some more information to enrich the experience but um it's really mobile first for me is about like you know essentially building a really solid foundation for the house you're you know multi-device house i don't know this is the worst metaphor ever but uh <laughs> um it's really about just like building that broad base of agreement and then working out from there so an issue that always comes up is performance mm-hmm. and and large images right well how do we deal with the images <laughs> I, everybody's struggling with it i mean is, is there a yeah. s- simple answer to that um, yeah, there, I don't know. I'd love a simple answer to anything I do on a daily basis. But um, I, th- I think, I mean, this is going to be a big focus of my talk in, in uh, From Business to Buttons, mm-hmm. which is getting organizations thinking about performance as a design priority. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I think historically speaking, like performance is always seen as like it's it's kind of the, the task of the implementation team. Like it's a developer's problem. Um, yeah. And... Most of my work in the last couple of years has really been working on, you know, bringing performance into the discussion, like, as early into the design process as possible, you know, so talking about, like, designing performance budgets, for example, and using that as, like, a lens to sort of shape not just the, the design and implementation, but also, like, the content. Um, so, so, but from, an, uh, with that in place, I think that then technical solutions tend to fall out of that. And there's a whole host of options out there for managing images, for example. I mean, we now have, like, a a responsive images specification in HTML that allows us to figure out, you know, certain conditions under which images are loaded. Um, there's all sorts of wonderful client and server-side things you can do to sort of ensure that a device is never going to see an image that's necessarily larger than it wants to. Um, so, you know, I'll cover some of that in my talk, but it's it's really about, like, getting the organization to kind of rally around performance as something that's going to benefit not just their users, but also... Um, their business and their business goals. Um, yeah. So. I mean, I mean, I've, uh, I, I'm a big, I'm a, it's a big fan of performance. Can you be a big fan of performance? I know. I've been. <laughs> Let's <laughs> I've all been be big fans together. Yeah, I've been, um, I've been pushing the issue of performance mm. for for years as well, and I, mm. I find it's, um, in fact, it's, it's probably one of the one of the most challenging. Um, issues and discussions to have with with clients, and, mm-hmm. and even with uh, not just clients, because of course you're in this kind of. Try, I often come in as as maybe a, well, I'm a, I'm a freelancer, so I come in as an independent in mm-hmm. many of these situations. And there's a there's a develop a company developing the website or designing and developing, and then there's a client, and there's maybe me involved in the mix. Mm-hmm. And and I find performance is one of those things that I mean, I, it gets really easy brushed aside in the same words that we used to do years ago with kind of oh well you know we can we can add an extra kind of like you know picture here or an extra flash film here because people have got faster broadband now and you know they've got right. adsl you know they, they don't we don't need to be thinking about modems anymore it's exactly right. the same kind of ah you know it'll work kind of thing we don't need to worry about how many javascripts mm. we're loading in the head mm-hmm. i mean and i and i think there is a is a lot of um a long way to go with maturity in, in understanding, like you say, about um, a performance budget and ingraining that into the process very early on. Yeah, I think it's, you know, something you said earlier about, like, you know, uh, content authors and editors who are working primarily in, like, you know, a desktop environment. They they stop thinking about mobile. I think it's it's very easy for our clients and even, even practitioners in our industry about 
really focusing on the web that's in front of them. You know, that you know, they might be connected to a four G connection or on Wi Fi most of the day. And there was all these wonderful stats out there and information and research, you know, to suggest that that's, that's really kind of the exception rather than the norm. Um, we need to be designing for a web that's not just more broadly accessed today than at any point in its history, but it's also slower, less reliable in delivery, and far more volatile than we like to think about when we're talking about just even design. Um, so, you know, I mean, how can we talk about, like, building these rich, responsive UIs that are maybe still visually immersive, really rewarding, providing wonderful content and services, but also hardened for a connection that might drop out while they're downloading some rich images, um, you know, that can plan for that kind of adaptation on the fly. Um, those are those are interesting design challenges to me. I don't think they're just technical problems. Um, mm. Talking with clients about how their brand uh, needs to adapt, not just in terms of like fonts and colors, but if, again, you know, a style sheet doesn't load, what is the, you know, what is the story we're trying to convey to them and you know, adverse network conditions. So, right. mm. I was thinking one of the um, one of the can tools or communication tools I've used with with some clients was to is to um, take um, well use webpagetest.org. Yeah, yeah. Um, to make visual comparisons of 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 their site or or maybe you know their the re- just released site with this wonderfully responsive and so on and compare mm-hmm. it to their competitors and let yeah. them see how slow their site loads right. <laughs> side, yeah. side by side yeah. with um, with competitor sites that they mm. see as not as good and have not not been <clears throat> redesigned as recently um, yeah. to highlight the problem with with um, uh, what i've called the, the vanilla responsive where mm. you are just taking the full website and just using moody queries pushing exactly the same site down yeah. the pipe right. to mobiles. Right. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great. I think anything you can do to kind of convey a sense of like the real world impact. Um, you know, uh Tim Cadillac just released a site, I think it was like what is my site cost dot com, um, which is this wonderful way of like you just feed it a URL or a web page test test ID. And um it'll basically show you like download costs just for that page in various countries. Um, Ooh, wow. Yeah, which is wonderful. I mean, it's just like, you know, if, if you're publishing this six megabyte page that's visually stunning and incredibly impressive, but it costs 50 cents to download in, say, Germany, for example, mm. um, you know, that's, I think that's something that, again, can kind of reinforce the fact that there's a weight to our work. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Good, wow. That's good. Though. What does my site cost.com? Yep. Yes. I've added that one to my mm. collection. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I th- yeah. I love it. Oh no! It's, no, it's not. Now I'm starting to look at it. I should <laughs> focus, James. Remember, you are recording a podcast. No, 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 no I'll, I'll hang out, man. It's so good. It's worth spending more time on the site than talking to me, frankly. But uh, um, I'm, I'm going to save it till afterwards. There we go. Nice. So nice. we were talking a bit about breakpoints before, and mm. how you usually like test the breakpoints of, well, 960, then the iPad. Right, then right. the iPhone, right. and have those breakpoints as your reference. But and then if you ask people and the experts, they say, well, it, it all depends. It all depends, and you have to really right. look at the side all across the board and see at what what at what points does the actual design break and fix mm-hmm. it there. And but how often do you actually have to test that? Because there, I mean, there are devices coming out, and you don't know what devices your target group necessarily are using. How often what, is there a recommendation of how often to actually test your breakpoints and and try and make those better? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's like I've stopped thinking about breakpoints as like being page specific. And, you know, as I've been doing more 
complex responsive interfaces and working on like some responsive web applications. Um, you know, more and more I'm building basically like a, a library of design patterns and modules that can be sort of like rearranged to build these more complex, uh, complex UIs. And any one of those elements is probably going to have different breakpoints than a lot of its cousins. Um, like mm -hmm. a masthead, for example, on a site, uh, the Boston Globe masthead, just one public example, probably had like six or seven unique breakpoints when it launched. Um, whereas like the content well on an article page maybe had two. Um, Okay. Oh. That's interesting. So this is this is very interesting. So this is so you're moving, I suppose, more towards the atomic design that Brad um, that Brad Frost is going on about. Um, uh, I guess with the way you're breaking it down into responsive chunks. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've been yeah. I think uh, this more like modular approach to breaking up UIs that's been going on for mm. a couple of years now, and I think that mm. atomic design is a really great methodology for managing um, you know, a pattern library, for example. But like Starbucks, when they launched their responsive site back in, I think, 2012, they published their style guide, which is any, anybody could uh, go in and see a type palette, color palette, uh, grid uh, components that could be used to build features in different sections of the site. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's basically like, for me at least, like thinking about the breakpoints as they apply to those individual modules really helps you tune, again, the points at which your responsive design adjusts to the content you're designing. You know, so you're not really thinking about device viewports or the widths of specific screens. You're really thinking about mm. when this line length gets to around 20 M's, when it exists in this part of the layout, we're going to introduce a change. That could be a type change. That could be a layout change. But it's really stepping away from viewports and really just looking at, okay, this particular element has some edges and seams to it. How can we sort of like use media queries to kind of defend the integrity of the content we're designing. And that, that is actually the, the only sustainable way to go forward. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like we, we actually, uh, on a number of responsive projects I've worked on, we would get device classes we hadn't previously considered before and be asked to kind of open them up. I mean, I remember um, one large uh, publisher's website that launched, uh, you know, about a year and a half before the Google Glass came out, like, you know, somebody sent us some screen caps about a year and a half later on Google Glass of this responsive design. This is a device we didn't huh. know about. Um, you know, and putting aside the merits of that particular platform, it's like, uh, you know, the design just worked. Um, mm. Now, that's not to say that it's necessarily the best experience for that specific context, but at least it's a foundation, right? It's, it's flexible, exactly. it's navigable, mm. and then... Uh, and then I think part of your point about like testing, I think like if a device gets enough traction in the marketplace, then I think there's an interesting point for discussion with the client about like, okay, maybe we need something a little bit more tailored or customized for this. But I'm always going to start with the web as my foundation, hmm. you know. I mean, say, say what you like about the um, the, the Apple um, Watch, right. but it, it, a little bit of me kind of does want it to be a success just because mm. of how much it'll kind of like mess around the process because mm. having, a, having a round screen that's just that small yeah. um, does, does add an interesting um, um, test case into the whole mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Android Wear, there are some wonderful mm. WebKit-based browsers out there for those, and um, there's some great videos actually on YouTube of uh, people sort of like browsing around a couple of responsive designs on their smartwatch, uh, mm. like techcrunch.com responsive redesign. Uh, you know, somebody's just like flicking through. Again, is that the best experience for that um, that particular device? We could probably have a decent discussion about it, but at least <laughs> bare minimum, it's accessible, it's navigable, um, mm. 
and it's uh, it works. It, yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, as, a, as a health check, it's it's an interesting thing to do. Mm. But you're right, right. as a as yeah. a believable use case, yeah, maybe not. It's better than some <laughs> right. of the sites I, I see today. Still, that when I'm I in my phone, I go to the website, I type in the URL of the website, and it redirect me to the mobile version of the website, and mm-hmm. I can't get out of it. It's just impossible <laughs> to get out of it. And yeah. So some of the stuff I just can't see. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. We've uh, on our podcast mm-hmm. we've talked to a number of uh, organizations where mm-hmm. their mobile site was actively deterring mobile traffic. Um, yeah, you know, it's just they couldn't find the information mm-hmm. or the content they wanted, or it was broken on their device. Mm-hmm. And um, a responsive experience was it's it was basically like a cheap multi-device redesign. Um, you know, it was it basically allowed them to fix a lot of significant usability issues um, yeah. with one code base, which I hadn't considered before. Speaking of the Apple Watch, I read somewhere mm. that they're actually they worked really hard with the font that they have a specific font that they've designed for the Apple Watch. Is that something you come across a lot? Because I actually haven't thought about it that much. That you usually think about the font size for smaller screens, but you actually change the font maybe for mm. some resolutions. Yeah, um, that's something. I mean, I mean, I know some responsive designs that have done that. Um, you know, a list apart, I think when they first launched, they were they were loading a narrower weight, uh, narrower face of Georgia Pro hmm. on smaller screens just to kind of keep the the line length high. I think they've since moved away from that, but um, I know. I mean, I think that's an area of interest for a lot of people. I think for me, at least, um, I found it. You know, in my practice anyway, I haven't really come across that too much. It's really been about like thinking more about like how the text kind of performs within the layout at that particular breakpoint yeah. and then adjusting it accordingly. It's not really about like drastic uh, font face changes or anything like that. I, mean, I remember we used to do it a few times. We used to do it quite often with, um, with the print style sheets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Ah, right. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing kind of, but it's, um, it's, it's different context. It's when we it's... had Arial on screen and Times <laughs> on paper. You... Right. Yeah, right, exactly. that's, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But, but then it was very obvious that it did look much nicer to read when it was mm. on the paper. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, the, mm-hmm. but the concept's the same. That, you know, some devices and it, you know, adjusting the font would be um, beneficial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we have the technology. I think it's just a matter of figuring out, like, yeah, testing in the in the environment, and going from there. Exactly. Yeah, that's nice. There are two challenges I want to run past you that are always mm. causing me headaches, and of course okay. they are tables. Yeah. And, and com- more complex forms. I'm working with a lot of collecting patient data now. They're doing health uh, indicating forms, mm-hmm. and and it's just they're too wide. But how how much do you take into? I mean, do you do you have solutions where you think it's actually the best for them to scroll uh, horizontally? <laughs> um, I've definitely uh, yeah. So tables specifically, I've definitely worked yeah. on some sites that have done that. Um, I mean, the problem with tables is kind of the same as like designing responsive navigation. Like it's it's hard to come up with like the one true pattern. Um, mm-hmm. Like the 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 way in which you sort of like adapt them, I really feel like has to be tied to the content inside, like the table or the navigation menu that you're designing. Um, Because, like, depending on the associations you're trying to highlight in the table, um, I've seen patterns that, like, create a scrollable region. You know, they anchor the header on the left, and then, like, the body on the right just sort of, like, scrolls past. Um, You know, other others, you know, actually just sort of, like, reformatting the table um, so that it's basically, like, a massive, long two-column sort of thing. And then I've seen uh, some UI patterns where it's like on smaller viewports, they replace the table with like a tappable element. Um, and then when okay. you tap on it, it hides everything else on the page except for the table. And then you can just sort of like scroll natively, ah, um, right. which I think is like an interesting middle ground. Exactly. Um, 
but uh yeah and i've also spoken with some companies that like tables for them was like one of those areas where they just felt some server side adaptation needed to be done like actually just loading a different table um, was going to be better for them and for their users um i haven't personally worked on a project like that but i think it's 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 really hard to kind of come up with like one flat oh, yeah. solution for everything I mean, I've 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 not been involved in one where everyone's happy with the solution. <laughs> yet. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, it's it's a it's a headache. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah, but it's 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 always a good discussion, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah this, the solution's never perfect. No, not yet. Yeah, but forms are interesting. I mean, I've worked on some really interactive uh, transactional interfaces in the last year or two, and um, for me at least, it's usually a helpful exercise to talk through rather than like the the process of like you know the actual like transactional workflow that somebody's going to be clicking through is really just t- kind of talking through the transaction that they're trying to complete like actually the steps independent of layout you know the goals that they're trying to achieve mm-hmm. in in which order um um and basically using that as like a it's like progressive enhancement in action like building some really basic looking html and then sort of like layering on enhancements and animation from there um yeah. but um yeah, the layout stuff is always it's always fun arm wrestling. Just talking to you now, I have the idea of, yeah, sure, in the desktop you see the whole form, but if you go mobile, you see it one form field at a time, and you just mm. click next, and it pops up the next thing I have to fill in, next thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's, uh, that's a nice. Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, now, right. now we're gonna get distracted should, again. Okay. <laughs> you guys want to go build right that? Now. We can, we can, we can yeah. pick it up later. But uh, I have to start yeah. sketching now. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. thank you, good night. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, this isn't actually a podcast, is it? <laughs> no, it is. No, it's like it's a, a free ad hoc design session. clinic. Yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> you got us. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but it's. Uh, I think it's hard just to. I mean, I do this too, but like breaking out of you know thinking about the layout first. Mm. Um, you know the even just the flow of form elements down from the top top to the bottom is you know can be a little bit of an anti-pattern sometimes and Mm -hmm. just like doing a visual outline or textual outline of like the the steps that they need to go through can can usually be pretty helpful Hmm. i have like one final question that i've been aching to ask (laughs) okay are you tired of being the responsive (laughs) web design guy (laughs) i mean i love No, I mean, it's it's weird. I mean, it's not really good for my imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, but uh, I think it's... it's. Um, I don't really feel like I invented responsive design. I think I, I put a name to some processes and some thinking that have been around for a very long time. I mean, going all the way back to a DAO of web design back in 2000, like John Alsop talking about the web as um, this flexible design medium. You know, that was like one of the first design articles I read on the web, and that really made an impact on me. And I think I think of responsive design as just like um, being able to execute on that promise that the web is fluid, it's accessible by default, and now we we can sort of shape it in useful ways. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like in terms of being the creator of responsive design, I mean, I, I feel like I coined the term, but I don't think I created anything. Um, mm. But I'm the work that I love doing right now is thinking about complex data problems and design challenges um, across a whole range of devices and input modes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with the title, but I love the work that I'm doing right now. And, uh, yeah. And you did call your book Responsive Web Design, and your podcast is called Responsive <laughs> Web Design. So. Well, both of those things are just because I'm bad at branding, but, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, to be honest, if nothing else, then it, it must be quite. It must give you quite a good warm feeling to know that you've inspired an entire hmm. generation of of, of of web people um, to work in a particular way. Well, it's true, actually. I mean, it did. I mean, thinking of an Apple keynote now, if something changes, everything responsive web design actually did. Well, <clears throat> that's nice of you guys to say. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing, and I'm uh, love coming to conferences and speaking to people about like the stuff I've been working on. So. Excited to uh, do the same in April. Yeah. Looking forward to meeting you in person as well. Yeah, likewise. Mm. Likewise. We're going to let you go. I guess it's afternoon. You still have some work to do today. <laughs> yeah, and I'll uh, <laughs> let you guys get back to your evenings. But uh, yeah. thanks yeah. so much for having me on the UX podcast, guys. It was a real chat, a real joy chatting with you. Thank you. Thank it's you. Really good fun to have likewise. you here. We look forward to seeing you in, um, in a month, um, uh, roundabout. Oh, wow. Yeah. I am so yeah. excited. Can't wait. <laughs> Wow, there's so much to think about, as always. Uh, you aren't implying that this web stuff is complicated, are you? I thought it wasn't <laughs> at first, and now it seems to be. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, of course. I mean, but it seems it's just it's just one simple subject. It's responsive web design or organ video. You mean you on this with you do it like that, and on this with you do it like that, and you save a lot of money on on uh, how many people you need to actually take care of the website, but. In the end, there are so many decisions to be made as soon as you add another type of object on the web. And I really loved what he was saying about, well, you called it atomic design, and you referenced, I don't know what he called it, actually. I don't remember now. But he's actually... Modular. Yeah, modular design. We're actually deciding what each component on the website is going to look like in different uh, uh, resolutions, rather than thinking of the whole page. Or or even thinking about, this is an article page, this is how this page... uh, Responds to different widths, but this other page, which is I don't know the contact form page, it behaves differently. I think that's my that's that's my take home from this is to th- not is to think in modules and that yeah. we have we have responsive modules and that we don't we shouldn't be doing responsive web pages and responsive websites. We should be thinking about smaller chunks of our sites and pages and thinking exactly how does this behave. When yep. does this break? What do I need to do with this mm. content mm. and this interaction element to make it succeed mm. in any situation it happens to find itself? Mm. And that's that's a, like I said, that's a that to me now is the only sustainable way of going forward mm. because everything else we're doing is actually just a <laughs> it's actually just a fudge. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we're just uh, yeah painting ourselves into a corner, as we say in Sweden. Yeah. You're, you're building stuff that specifically for different resolutions is just hindering you as soon as you're adding new content and as, as soon as other new devices are coming out. And, I mean, the biggest sign of success then is that a new device comes out and it still works. I love that. And it worked for Google Glass. And now yeah. hopefully our website will work in... Well, I don't think even Apple Watch actually shows websites. I'm not sure it does. I don't, I don't um, know, really. Um I, I no, it shows no. it shows stuff, but what actually no. it shows, I don't know. Really. I have no idea. No, but the, the Google, <laughs> but the Google Wear stuff does show websites. Yeah. So, if you want to come and join us at From Business to Buttons, then you better tough. Still, you better have your ticket already. Yeah, yeah, it's sold it's out. Sold out. <laughs> and we're going to be there's going to be I think over 500 people are going to be turning up for From Business to Buttons mm-hmm. to listen um, to a whole range of stocks, including. Mm-hmm. Um, um, well, two of our guests, recent guests on the show. <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, Steve Wozniak, uh, yes. like Ethan remarked on. Mm. But to be fair, there is a waiting list. You can actually sign up on the waiting list if you're 
really, really want to see if you can get a ticket. Yeah. Uh, but then I suppose you could just make yourself kind of content with the fact that you'll be able to listen to our show, um, which we'll exactly. be recording from, um, from Business of Buttons in Stockholm mm. in um, April. In the um, meantime, you can another reminder of our survey. Um, if you didn't manage to scribble down the URL at the beginning of the show, then here it is again, uxpodcast.com slash survey. Now, we did have some problems with the survey webpage um, when we first mentioned this um, a couple of episodes ago. Um, our, our, our caching plugin on the website went b- mad. I have no idea what happened to it. Um, but we killed it. We killed the <laughs> whole plugin because I took a hammer to it and just destroyed it. Yeah. And now it works fine. So speaking <laughs> of performance, our website is now slower. <laughs> <laughs> but you can access the content. So yeah. we decided that was a reasonable compromise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uxpodcast.com slash survey. It's, uh, as UXers, you'll know the importance of feedback and, um, and getting insights from your users and listeners. And for us, it's an incredibly valuable tool. And we, we need, actually need to promise that, because we've gotten some really fun feedback, we need to promise to actually share some of that feedback in our upcoming shows. Uh, we, we need to do that, because some of them made me laugh. Yeah. Well, right um, thank you. You can uh, find us absolutely anywhere as um, UX Podcast, basically. Um, and if you're really interested to know, then I'm Bean Tin on Twitter, and him over there is Axeboom, which yeah. is actually Axebomb with an O. It's actually Axeboom. <laughs> Yeah, but if you sp- oh, forget it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, say say your thing. <laughs> Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Mm-hmm.